0: Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. I'm your host this week, every week. Glad you are here and glad to be talking sports cards and maybe even a little sports tonight because as we're recording this, uh, we have I've just learned that Brooks Robinson passed away today. Another baseball great, a baseball legend. And I'm sure that my guests and I will get into that tonight. Uh, we've got not a whole lot going on in the hobby, but I'm going to do this. This is a series. I've had a couple of episodes with this gentleman on with me. And it seems like we just have great conversations. So this series I'm going to start, and I'll do it every once in a while, Conversations with Keating. And it's my good friend. You guys all know him. You love him. It's John Keating. John, how you doing, man?
1: Good, Mike. How are you? Good. Where are you in this great land of ours? I am in the armpit of America, Houston, Texas.
0: Uh, <laughs> careful, careful. Home
1: of, it's home of my in-laws, so I can say that.
0: the The irony is, people from the Metroplex hate Houstonians by and large. Like, there's a genuine rivalry between Houston and Texas. Certainly, baseball right now we're in a rivalry right now with the Astros trying to clinch a playoff berth for the Rangers uh It's funny though they're all on the west coast right now, so I have to it sucks I have to stay up really late to watch. I bet it's even worse for you when uh the Phillies are on the west coast
1: yeah, I'm not baseball died in nineteen ninety four for me, so uh I won't stay up late. I will stay up just long enough. Uh, as long as I have to, uh, to get my five hours of sleep a night. But uh, we, how about them Eagles, huh? Uh,
0: the push. Again, I, I would so ban that play. Like, <laughs> just get rid of it. It um, doesn't need to be in the the sport of foot. If you can't run it in the, the traditional way, you don't
1: deserve to score a touchdown, you know. I will send you a hurt feelings report. Fill that out and get that back to me as soon as possible, please. <laughs>
0: I will sign it multiple times. I'm going to do a petition, <laughs> actually. Uh, the Eagles um, have certainly perfected that play. The Cowboys looked very terrible uh, on Sunday.
1: It takes a while for the season to, to unless you're in Chicago or Denver, you know, it right. takes a while for the season to, to settle down and all that stuff. So uh, nobody will go 17-0. and 0. No, I do take. Oh, seventeen. I do take some solace in that the Chiefs lost to the Lions in
0: Week One at home, right? right? right so right. there's always those surprises, even for the really good teams every year. And we are in the thick of football season, or you know, we're here we go. College right. football's been great so far. Um, Penn State had you a know, big win. The other night.
1: Yeah, you, you know what? Uh, there was a trend that, that emerged this year. I know it didn't only happen in Philadelphia, but uh, the premise of not playing your starters in the preseason at all and how that affects the season. The, the Eagles are a little sluggish right now, and I think that that was the case with a couple teams. They didn't really play their starters. So, uh, and, I, and I think the coach in Philadelphia has realized that was a mistake. Uh, obviously, we know why they don't do it, uh, injuries, and I think they're they're building towards a peak later in the season. But uh, the the preseason football is always a hot button topic because it's just a money grab. But you still need to play games. I know they do a lot of uh, in, inter squad uh, practices and stuff like that. But uh, it's a, it's a phenomenon that, that that did emerge the first couple weeks of the season. I think some of those teams are starting to shake the rust off as well.
0: How fast will we lose listeners if we just continue to talk about football and a vintage baseball card show? Is that a good idea?
1: Well, one more thing, if you don't mind. I'm in Houston, <laughs> and I did, I did finish my 1979 tops football set this weekend by getting the Earl Campbell rookie at the Philadelphia Card Show. So Houston, uh, Philly Card Show, vintage. Uh, we nailed it right there. I didn't talk baseball. Uh, but, yeah. So I'm happy to finally finish that set after – Forty-four years. Uh, okay. Earl Campbell, by the way, was was a beast for those who he, who uh, uh, were around. And Earl Campbell also had an interesting relationship with Topps. He kind of stopped allowing them to use his card after a year, and he was on a couple like a team checklist and a, a leader's card and his rookie card, and not not much other footprint did he leave on the hobby.
0: I too picked up an Earl Campbell rookie card recently uh,
1: in Austin
0: at a chasing okay. cardboard deal. I got a PSA eight and I was so happy because I've completed the Earl Campbell player run with one card.
1: He's <laughs> well, got two more, but yeah, it's the, the, like I said, the, the team checklist and the leaders, I think, or whatever. But the but base, yeah. I, I've got the base. base set. Part done yeah. So that's like about... me and her. Yeah. Me and her, Herb Washington. So you're right there with me.
0: Yeah. I have both of the, yeah, that's right. We yeah, both have both those were. complete. So, you and I, when we get on and just, I think we have a lot of fun just talking and I think that uh, hopefully you guys, everybody out there listening, watching will enjoy it as well because John and I are very similar in a lot of ways and we both have, he has a little more gray in his beard than me, but we, uh, <laughs> uh, we both have plenty and yeah. I don't know if that beard, the grayness, comes from wisdom or stress or a combination thereof. Right. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a badge of honor, especially in uh, especially in our hobby. I guess you know, Doctor Jim's got a nice gray beard, uh, so yeah. I think I think we're part of a you know, bald dudes with beards. I walk into every restaurant looking for bald dude. You know, some a friend of mine who is bald and has a beard, and there's a dozen bald dudes with beards in the bar or a restaurant. So it's uh, quite the look you and I are uh, perpetuating and uh, it's really catching on.
0: It is. It's the, it's the cool, it's what all the cool guys are doing. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know when we find them, but uh, that is what I hear.
1: So uh, we now can have, uh, we now can definitively say the greatest living third baseman in history or the greatest living third baseman is mike schmidt uh now that brooks died right yeah Uh, so uh brooks robinson was a one team guy he uh really prior to brooks robinson uh, we didn't know a lot about third baseman uh maybe eddie matthews by a couple years but i always look back at that you and uh, orlando covered it last week the uh Sporting News, all-time all-stars. Uh, I think it was Pie Trainer was the third baseman on that. Right. You know, think think about the latter half of the 20th century and the third baseman that came, you know, Matthews and Robinson and Schmidt and uh, Nettles and all those guys. So George uh, Brad, Boggs. George yeah. Brad, Boggs, yep. So really that position was defined in the latter half of the uh, 20th century, and, and Brooks had a lot to do with that. Eddie obviously did it with his bat, but Brooks did it with his glove, which – Not a lot of fielders prior to the fifties were really known. I mean, they were wearing oven mitts on their hands, but like Brooks came along at the right time and had the right set of skills to, to really elevate all fielding positions, I guess, or infield positions.
0: I think he brought a awareness to how important the hot corner is, you know, and, and how much defense matters. Brooks wasn't a, prolific hitter he was good he was good right Right. but but for that era he wasn't you know considered one of the best hitters although he did have some clutch moments where he delivered some key hits throughout his career he was known as the human vacuum cleaner which is might be the greatest nickname ever right yeah and so I always remember Brooks, my dad would tell me stories about Brooks Robinson and how insanely nice he was. And he had met him several times. I have several cards signed by Brooks that my dad obtained in person when I was growing up. And, uh, it, it, those, all of those cards mean a lot to me. They have extra special places in my collection, but he just, you know, he loved Al K Al Kaline was my dad's favorite player. He's a Baltimore guy, by the way. Yeah. And Brooksy, I think, was a close second. He was just always so nice to everybody. And he was TTMing literally (laughs) uh, up until the end. You know, he he was a prolific. I've used the word prolific twice now in this stream. But uh, definitely a prolific autograph guy. There's tons of his cards out there his autographs are not expensive, but I would tell you the price of poker just went up just like it does for every player. When they pass away, maybe that's a good topic of conversation. Every time someone passes away, we seem to discuss this, but it's a point that we shouldn't just dismiss in that. Now his rookie cards are going to be more sought after. And what now his, you know, everything kind of changes with that. Why does it take someone dying? Here's my question to you. Why does it take someone dying for them to be recognized for the greatness that they achieve in the sport?
1: Well, I mean, you can uh, draw the same question from uh, making the Hall of Fame versus not making the Hall of Fame, right? You know, as much as we like to rag on Harold Baines, did it it move the needle on his cards? Like we feel like it's – it's like kissing your sister, right? Like, oh, uh, he's a hall of famer, his rookie card, but you don't really want anything to do with it. I mean, it's the same thing when somebody dies. It's... His work was done on the field a long, long time ago, many, many decades ago. So if that didn't solidify his, his worth in the hobby, whether it's underrated or overrated, uh, I don't think the death, that death itself would maybe it, it gets a little bit of a bump, and then settles back down. I mean, we were talking about Jim Brown a couple months ago, but you know, Jim Brown, I don't I think he settled back to kind of where he was perhaps. Um,
0: I I think it's kind of like anything. It'll, it'll have a spike and settle down probably not as low as it was before, but it definitely won't stay at the peak very long, more than a week or two for sure. What's Uh, your
1: favorite Brooks Robinson card?
0: Well, I was going to talk about Brooks Robinson's cardboard history because it's it's pretty amazing it's you know he has his rookie card in 57 his last card is base card is 77 tops but he has a 78 tops record breaker card if i remember right, right. like playing the most i think it's most consecutive seasons with one team or
1: something like that right and i, I think he, he actually t- tied with Yaz. i think on that right
0: yeah but brooks I don't think as much about cards that I love of Brooks as much as cards that I think are terrible, but let's talk about cards that I like. There's only one of those. My favorite Brooks Robinson card is 1971 tops.
1: Which number, you know, uh,
0: I don't know. His
1: base card, right? 300, I guess. Yeah.
0: His base card, which is him kind of swinging. It's like a follow through of a swing. It it looks like he missed, you know, uh, But it's a cool little action. That's just not an unusual action shot, right? So, right. Well, the first
1: year, the first year of action shot cards, too. So yes.
0: So I, I Um, that one, I, I just think about what about you? What comes to mind for you of cards you like?
1: Oddly enough, it's 1971 as well, but it's the 1971, uh, 331. I think it's the World Series one. Where he's where just he, little little speck of brook and a bunch of he's in the, Yeah, he's in the sand. He's, just, yeah. he's, in, he's, he's in the sandbox. Uh, World Series game five. Um, beautiful card. Uh, I think it's awesome. Again, uh, the advent of action cards. Uh, B. Robinson commits robbery is what the, the card says on the bottom. I also always like the '76 where he's kind of he's, he's kind of got the sun in his eyes and he's got his glove and I mean that's that's what we knew Brooks for was his glove so uh, the '76 has always been a little little bit of an odd fun one for me. The '73 one, I think he's also fielding if I remember right.
0: Let me I got uh, it all right here. Um, I should have. <laughs> hindsight's a wonderful thing. I should have pulled some Brooks Robinson cards out.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of them, obviously, and he was on some multiplayer cards, obviously, with uh, with Frank, and he was on one with uh, Hank Bauer and maybe Frank in sixty seven, yep. was it right? So uh, 67 again, and sixty seven again, yeah, yeah, and and you have to uh, you have to say the guy was a champion, right? Won a couple, yep. won a won a couple uh, uh, World Series, that's for sure, in a in a tiny market of Baltimore.
0: That was a good
1: caption on that card,
0: too. It's called Bird Belters, him and Frank yeah. Robinson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he
1: had it all, man. He had all the oddball stuff, right? Uh, the coins, the the deckle edge. Uh, I think he's in a tops game. Top 68. super,
0: you know, yeah. or tops giants, you know. Yep. Got them all. Uh, and top super, all those. So he, he spanned really a huge amount of years over cardboard right i mean that's a a very long career and but i gotta say and i want to get your reaction to this his 58 card might be the ugliest card of any superstar i mean what's he doing it is tops
1: i bought that i got that within the last i guess year and a half i finished when i finished my 58 set i took him to in and out burger and propped him up and took a picture and it's 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 funny to look at, right? Everything's funny about him. His, his, his collar sticking out of his, his uh, shirt, his look. And I always say how crazy it is after one of the most fresh faced, uh, bright eyed cards ever is 57 rookie. You look like a guy that in 365 days has been beaten down. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, ch- churned up by the world. I mean, it's there's only a year, or maybe even less than a year, between when the two pictures were taken. It's it's hilarious. It is. It's hilarious. It is. A- it's one of those jokes. Uh, it's one of those jokes that'll or it, it'll always make it always uh, give people a reaction as they discover vintage cars and go back. And somebody right now is on eBay buying a '58 books Robinson and probably chuckling to themselves. His 58 is actually quite expensive. Uh,
0: His, I think it's 67. He's a high number. And so that's crazy expensive. I don't own that one yet. Actually, I think that's the only Brooks Robinson card I'm still missing is that one because of the price with it being a high number. Um, I need to just do a, a Brooks Robinson player showcase, even though it's not complete, just in honor of his passing and.
1: Yeah, card 600 is uh the 67. There you go. And uh, card number 1 is the uh one with Bauer and and uh Frank Robinson. So uh yeah, he he had uh, I'm surprised Ray from Philly hasn't done that run yet, but uh you know, he was able to finish the As one, but this one would probably kill him for sure. Uh so much going on there. Uh I've got a lot of his cards. I think I have 77 of his cards and that's without trying so that just goes to show you how many cards uh, Brooks has um, all the way up until 2022 I think or even this year I think there's the 22 platinum anniversary which was released this year so
0: is he in that
1: he's in that yeah Michael had had a sale tonight and he had him up on a card stand which was neat nice little chrome version of a Brooks uh, reimagined is part of the 53 set, uh, which is kind of cool.
0: I'm looking at my list of autographs. I have 54 Brooks Robinson autographs. <laughs> wow. And Why on earth do I need 54 yeah. Brooks Robinson autographs? I don't know. but
1: Well, yeah, this was not supposed to be a therapy session for you. I can't right? help you with that, that <laughs> problem, but uh, it's better than 53 but it's not quite 55 uh his auto was pretty nice huh uh it was different he lots of times
0: had to stack his autograph because he wrote large and he would long name long name so he brooks and then robinson underneath uh which actually was kind of cool his autograph is incredibly easy to to like yep that's brooks robinson you can wreck it. It's easily recognizable and hard to fake. I would think not that I think many people are faking Brooks Robinson autographs simply because he's signed he's, so much. He's I signed think. so much. It's not, wouldn't would be no point really. The value's not there, but uh, I, his autographs will I think tick up a little bit price wise since that's really more my milieu than yours, but it'll settle like, like everybody else.
1: Well, and that's understandable because uh, the the supply is now finite, right? I mean, we know the supply of vintage cards is finite, but um, there's stashes of vintage cards that have yet to be discovered. uh, Sure. Whereas whereas autographs are are out there, right? Nobody's, I don't think anybody's sitting on a barn full of autographs uh, unless they're people from Prior to Brooks Robinson, but uh, one other thing I wanted to say is Little Rock, Arkansas, is where uh, I learned where Little Rock, Arkansas, was or where from uh, the back of a Brooks Robinson card back in the seventies. Had no idea there was a Little Rock, so uh, again, baseball cards. Uh, we all learned a lot from the backs of baseball cards, and that's that's an example right there. I always, always, I always know where Brooks Robinson is from.
0: That's and, awesome. Uh, well, people like Little Rock better than Big Rock uh, for some reason. <laughs> okay.
1: uh,
0: they, they just like what about Rock? Round
1: Rock? What about Round Rock? That's Round Rock, just that's right. just
0: north. Well, it's north of where you are and yeah, a little yeah. bit west, but uh, come on. You have to admit, the people in Texas are pretty nice. Come on.
1: Did you skip the part or did not hear the part where I said my in-laws are from here?
0: Oh, so they're not nice people in Texas. Okay, uh, I get it.
1: Right. My wife, yeah, my wife is uh, a pseudo Texan. She was born in PA, but grew up here. But uh, anyway, uh, there's In-N-Out Burger, which is probably the most positive thing I could say about Texas uh, or Dallas, I should say. Or where am I? Houston, wherever <laughs> I am. I'll be in Dallas tomorrow night, uh, stopping by at the airport. But yeah, I got a question. I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, have you ever talked about what your biggest hobby regret was?
0: No. Um, and I
1: wonder, and it can't be something, it can't be a layup like, oh, I should have gotten, you know, a Mike Trout when it was five bucks or I should have gotten a Mickey Mantle, 52 Mantle when it was 1300 bucks. It has to be something, uh, has to be something obvious or, or clearly defined and and an opportunity, uh, a true opportunity that was lost. I'm just wondering what that is for you.
0: That's interesting because obviously I can think of just probably like you can and many other people watching or listening, we can all remember cards. We wish we would have bought. Right. Which is kind of what you're talking about. But for me, I would say I didn't get into vintage. I didn't start buying vintage soon enough and just overall my, my hobby journey, I was stuck in player collector world. And I was so enthralled by that that i and focused that i didn't dive into vintage when i should have just overall i would have been probably much happier back before and i I kind of because i went i cheated on my players a lot man i would i would divorce them uh start (laughs) cheating on them divorce them marry another player cheat on them divorce them you know it was the the between Dar- from Daryl Strawberry to Josh Hamilton and, you know, half a dozen players in between. I was always player a player collector for so long. And I thought it was smart. I was like, oh, I'm being so smart. I'm going to collect these great players and try to get all their cards. And it was fun to hunt for them and all that. Little did I know uh, what a profound opportunity that I missed to not be in vintage as heavy as i i I think of all the hobby dollars that i kind of pissed away you know
1: overall well i would imagine too when you said you you paused after profound and uh i i I think you were going to say the opportunity missed uh might have been some joy too right because money's money but like to get into but you know the reason we we collect vintage cards is i think there's so much joy in it obviously there's money attached but there's fun stuff learning about players i have you know a current kick a uh, pair of kicks going on right now player you talk about player runs i'm trying to get some player runs because they they both have stories that and probably nobody else is collecting them but it's the joy of discovering those little things that that i think uh is 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 if you would have uh, wanted to capture that joy a lot sooner i'm sure
0: That is 100 percent true. But like a lot of things, I dated a lot of girls before I married Julie and I found the right one. You know, I found my forever one. And so we all you know, I think it's not uncommon for collectors to go down multiple paths at the beginning of their journey and then going, you know what? And I talk about this, the life cycle of a collector, right? The kind of we we all start collecting modern players and then kind of mature, graduate, whatever work, change our minds, whatever, however simple or complex you want to make it. But the idea of, but maybe I wouldn't have appreciated vintage as much if I hadn't been down that, right. you Good know, point. Yeah. you could say, wow, I really found this. How would I know that all the others would be less fulfilling from a joy? And I didn't, it's not that I didn't have fun doing it,
1: but it was ultimately unfulfilling. If
0: that makes sense. It was, never-ending fling,
1: fling yeah it was a fling and this is like a, a relationship permanent relationship now you know
0: and I realized I couldn't finish
1: any player with one of ones and all the stuff that
0: are out there right. now especially you can't finish a player unless it's a vintage player and then I decided I'm just gonna do every vintage player right from for four decades and and collect all of those and that does have a end to it and they're all obtainable cards some of them are pricey, no doubt, but it's not like I have to get a a Honus Wagner T206 to to round this out. And which has got me when I say that, and I want to, I want to get your answer to that question too, but I'll finish my thought of that's kind of the end game for me. Honestly, I've thought about this significantly, especially as I'm about to turn 50 next month. And Julie's asking me as we're trying to decide where we want to live the rest of our lives and make some decisions about what our future looks like at some point I'm going to have enough. And to me, that is when I've, when I have every hall of famer from 1950 Bowman to 1989 tops in a PSA slab, what other cards could I possibly you know, I'm, I've gotten into pre-war a little bit and that's definitely a Pandora's box. I'm very afraid of because I really love the pre-war stuff. It's fantastic. And I love the history and all the things that go with pre-war, but my true joy is those forties, late forties, fifties, sixties, seventies designs that I remember as a kid ogling in the in the cases at the LCS and never being able to purchase and now having the ability to do so slowly, but surely it's, it's pretty fulfilling. And at some point I'll have that done and I'll kind of be, I mean, again, what else could I want? So.
1: Well, it's interesting because part of that, and I had two questions for you and and you kind of, you kind of joined them together. uh, The first question I asked, the second is I've kind of seen an evolution And I'm not saying it's forward progress, backwards progress, but I've seen you kind of branch off into different things the last uh, year or so. Um, So I I feel like there is a, um, you know, I think there's an addendum to your, your collecting habits and maybe you don't see it, but you're, you're talking now more about sets and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's a if that's a resignation to what you just said or whether it's something you're excited about because it just sends you off into a different on a different path in your collection.
0: Yeah. Well very astute observation. The the sets thing, I I've had sets my whole life, right? That's always been a thing. Either hand collating them myself by myself by opening packs in the mid to late eighties to buying just a box at Walmart every year now that has all 700 and however many cards in it, 660 or whatever it is now. Uh, I enjoy what a completed set represents. Having all of those cards. I don't need a complete set for everything. I just, the tops base set is plenty good for me. I'd love to have a binder wall someday with as many sets as I can. But let me tell you what a quirk that I haven't really told anybody. I want one in a box that's nice and safe, and then I want one in a binder. So I really want two sets if I'm being – which that's, is so uh, stupid, by the way. I think it, that's it's so a dumb.
1: suicide mission, man. It's so dumb. Uh, but there's a difference between collecting vintage car uh, – completing a vintage set, uh, as they say, post-ipso facto, as, as opposed to – completing a set in real time, uh, you know, via packs or buying a a, a factory set. That's the whole fun to me of, and and obviously a delineation we use in uh, the eras of collecting. Uh, There were no factory sets minus one year prior to 1981. And it's more difficult now to put those sets together than it is to put together, obviously, a modern set.
0: Well I'll tell you I am my set collecting journey to this point has been one of I'll call it very wide discretion in the sense that I don't need minty gem f- mint cards for a binder I right. will take very <laughs> mediocre conditioned cards is perfectly yeah. adequate for me and right because I've always struggled with, this is the problem. The reason I hadn't done a lot of vintage sets before I kind of wanted to do my life run, you know, from 73 and keep that kind of going. But now that I've kind of journeyed prior to that on the timeline, it's been only if it's a really good deal. Like I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go chasing after these sets and trying to spend gobs and gobs of money because I have a, I have an inherent problem with, paying you know some stupid amount of money for you know the backup second baseman for the chicago cubs in 19 you know 71 i just don't care i don't care about that card so why would i want to own it and pay good money for it when i don't really care other than to have that complete to to it's a completionist thing maybe for me
1: yeah uh and it's interesting that you talk about uh 1973 because it gets a little bit more difficult, uh, the year prior to 72, uh, you know, prior to 73, 72 hard, 71 is hard. And then some of those ones in the mid sixties prior to 68. So, um, and I know you have what a 60 and a 65, 60, 65, 70,
0: I've got partials right. of 10 other sets, but those have all come from big giant lots that I'll buy when but, I'm getting the cards for relatively small amounts of money on a per card basis. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, I'll do that. Right. Right. Uh, but I'm not going to just, and then when I get close, I'll go on sport lots or somewhere and fill it out. Right.
1: Right. Well, not it's, so. it's neat because you're buying collections now and then you're buying, you're not necessarily buying uh, premier cards all the time. You're, you're, you're you know, the, the basement, Collection is is pretty impressive. When you first started showing me pictures, I was like, Mike, I don't care about nineteen eighty one scratch off baseballs. If you bought a whole basement full of those, I, I don't think you spent your money wisely. But it's neat to see the stuff come out of there and uh, influence the way uh, you collect as well. I think you know it's yeah. You don't you don't have to have you don't have to walk around every day with your nineteen seventy one list. You know, it's something that when opportunity strikes, you can add another twenty cards or fifteen cards or hundred cards depending on it. So that's, what's fun about it. It's not always front burner stuff. It's uh, which is why certain way of collecting is fun because it doesn't, you you don't run out of ideas or things or projects or whatever. So um, the more you, more different things you collect uh, the more you'll collect, the longer your collection life will be, I think.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I'll always collect there's things I just love Hall of Famer, you know, getting Hall of Famer autographs and I love five stars. So if that, as long as that product line continues for tops, who knows if that will, but that's a project that will kind of be ongoing. I I do like that aspect, buying a new set every year. Let me ask you, how do you decide what sets you're going to binder and which ones will stay in a box?
1: Um, I'm way behind on that because uh, I have my, 68 through uh, 68 through 79 in binders as well as my 58 tops. I have 56 in shoebox. I have my 59 and 60 football and they're still in the five row box with the rest of my uh, football cards from that era. The 80 tops baseball card set, which I've had completed since 1980, has never made its way into a binder and that's that's probably the one I need to do throw into a binder next because uh, it's done. And uh, so the answer to that question is I have about at least four sets, maybe more that need to go into binders, uh, flagship sets, I guess kids would call them. So I'm behind oh. there. Let um, me give you a
0: pro tip. Let me give you a pro tip. The okay. or amateur tip. I don't know. I'm not getting paid. So I'm really an amateur. So the what I did said, when I started You, said, going you down, said
1: eight o'clock your dogs would be in bed, dude.
0: Man, yeah, I know. What are you going to do? Uh, there's still people awake in the house and they they decide <laughs> on every small noise to <laughs> announce their presence with authority. Uh, so when I went down this, okay, I'm going to start doing some sets and binders. And I thought, okay, binders are expensive. Pages are expensive, you know. And so what I did was I went on to ultra pro and signed up for, because I wanted all, here's the other thing, anal as it might be. I want all my sets in the same type of binder. I don't want
1: Frankenstein binders, you know, it's tough, man. That's tough.
0: It's tough because I've got black ones and blue ones and maroon ones and different styles and fonts and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. Let's just start fresh. Luckily, I don't have a ton of binders that are, you know, I can I can. I'm starting at a point where I, I haven't already sunk all this money into the into this. Where okay, let's do it right the first time. I've learned so my. You lessons. need
1: to buy, but you need to buy binders anyway, right? Is what you're saying.
0: Right, and so I would go onto Ultra Pro, and I would just sign up for notifications of sales. And I I don't spend twelve ninety nine on a three wing binder i wait and they come on sale every few times a year they'll have a sale where you can buy binders for uh six bucks six ninety nine six six bucks something like that that's much which sounds silly but it all adds up you know if you want to buy think about it if i want to have every top set in a binder from 1951 that's a lot of binders 70 plus binders right so i just i wait for the sales and i'll buy a case you know, and that'll get me eight or 10 of them for significantly less than they are retail typically. Right. And, and the same. What like if they discontinue
1: them, is it, is it the black ones with the purple lettering or no, it... I'm a blue guy.
0: So okay. uh, my binders are, I'll show you, here's my, I
1: thought you were going to say you signed up, you, you registered for the binder of the month club, kind of like the, the jelly of the month club and uh, national Lampoon's vacation, uh, Christmas vacation. Uh, so oh, I'm an nice. ultra
0: pro baseball blue. And then I, I'll usually put a card down here, an example, but right. this is a 2021 set. This is the whole base set. I'll ultimately put all the update. I have all the update sets too. Cause I buy those. I'll put them in here, but this is, this happens to be the, the gold stars version, okay. a set that I opened and it was the gold stars. And I, I have a, I have a sealed that's much easier, by the way, on modern cards, to buy one to open and buy right. one to keep. The one I happen What's to the open. the gold from-
1: star one? Is that numbered to what? Uh, it's not
0: numbered to anything oh. other than it, it's oh. one in three of the Walmart sets in 2021 oh, were this special gold one. star.
1: I thought uh, the blue star one was, uh, 50. each card was a 50 or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, oh. Yeah, you put the card in the thing. I usually put a beater in there and a card that reminds me to set. But uh, at the top of the spine, I use uh, the labels, four by six labels, to um, for shipping. Right, with my thermal printer, I can make I can make them all look the same at the top. Either a baseball with a year in it, or a football with a year in it. That's my plan. Sure, the colors will be a bit a little, a little bit different, but the spines will all have that same you know portrait label uh with what you know, there'll be a little uniformity there, but uh once you open it though, forget it. Because I have a hundred pages, eight 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 uh pocket pages waiting to do my fifty five set, uh waiting to put my fifty six set in, but I just I just haven't done it. I have I'm, I'm like eighty percent done the fifty five set, but just I have the I have the binders, I have the pages, I just haven't gotten around to it yet.
0: There's some fun to that, by the way. There's some yeah. joy to sitting down and putting a set in binders. Uh, it, yeah, it when you
1: be- buy collections, though, have you have you have you conversely the opposite of joy, the uh, of, of pulling you know ninety Fleer, ninety one Don Ross out of binder pages, like that kind of tempers the joy a little bit when you're when you're peeling cards, uh, junk wax cards out of binders.
0: Yeah, and you're you're right about peeling you know, because they're usually stuck it's and, sticking. Yep, yep. you know, there's all kinds of issues there. Uh, I've had that. So if I buy a vintage set, like I bought a few partial vintage sets in Austin as well uh, through chasing cardboard. I took all of them out and they were in really old pages and I replaced all the, I just put them in new pages, um, which are great. That's been actually fun because it also allows me to, I've noticed there's gaps like a complete set that somebody has as complete is not always complete. I bought right. several, what I thought were complete sets that ultimately ended up not being, I wasn't bitter. I bought them, you know, you know, they are what, Hey, and it it wasn't intentional. Like I wasn't, right. the, the guy wasn't trying to dupe me or anything. Uh, he thought they were complete sets. He had just never looked through it. And i systematically went through all the cards and put them in new binders, new pages. And notice, oh, I'm missing quite a few, or whatever. Uh, just, but, but that's fun to me. I mean, that's therapeutic to some degree.
1: To yeah, do. it is. And I and I, you know, I know you're accumulating stuff as it comes in. I do the same thing. When I buy a collection. I'll, I just did that with my 69 through 72s. I look at the condition of the cards. Stack of fifty 72s. Or any of them better than the ones I have in my binder. And it's fun going through that and comparing that because inevitably, you know, I have stuff with small writing on the back of it or or soft corners or creases. So it's it's fun seeing the grow the, the set grows better conditionally as well. I mean it's it's complete set, but now it's kind of growing conditionally. Whereas I'm not the type of person who will go out and get card number three hundred and thirty-two because it has creases or a checklist because it's checked off if it happens to come into my house and replace it then that's great so that's that's joy that i get as well you know i don't want to go out because again we all know what every car there is if i dwell on the fact that my 72 set has a couple cards with creases or soft corners then i'll i'll never get to getting or finishing another set because i'll too, be too worried about that so.
0: Yeah, it's good that you think that way, I think, because it is, it can be, and there are guys that obsess over a certain set and they want, you know, they really are very particular about condition and that's fine. But I think you and I's point is there's so many other cards I'd rather get then. Yeah. Yeah. Not that again, if you came up, if it came on you, like it just showed up one day or you bought it as part of another deal. Great. But you're spending that time that hobby time looking for the the card you don't have not another one of a card you already have
1: so when on golden age of cardboard as the kids say the gaoc when are you going to discover or praise uh, vintage football stuff you're from the you're from a state that worships football i can tell by the little high school stadiums that they build when are you going to get into that because there's Nothing more beautiful than vintage football cards from the sixties and fifties.
0: Well, as honestly, I haven't spent a ton of time. I don't know a ton about it. And that's just kind of this self awareness of not knowing as much I can recognize the sets. I can probably tell you certainly in the seventies and eighties, which sets are which, but beyond that, and you know, this cause you bought a bunch of these for me when I bought another collection. through chasing cardboard here in fort worth i sold you a bunch of the football cards and they were absolutely gorgeous right right. and uh i thought they were cool designs as far as golden age of cardboard it would need to be hosted i don't mind you know having a uh you know a spin-off show that would be the golden age of cardboard football edition i just need somebody to host it that actually knows what the heck they're talking about
1: yeah i know you've had some guests on um that, that talk about that i i have a couple guys that i love watching uh, tj mack and chris from stores and cardboard it's, it's so educational uh and i think it's one of those avenues that we go where we we think uh, you know, we know everything. We, we think we know everything about baseball, right? Everybody can recite, recite all the stats from way back, but it's fun, uh, learning some of these stories about these, these, uh, ham and eggers as they call them. Um, uh, and, and again, the beauty of the cards is, is what's important too, I think. And and I will always say, and I think I said it on hobby think tank. That's coming out sometime this week. That, uh, I think the designs of those cards, uh, Trump the uh, baseball cards. I know you you have a. Go ahead. What's that? Go ahead and finish your thought. I know you have a soft spot. You you know the fifties and sixties were great. I don't know whether is it the card designs for you or is it because of the players. You know players, Maze, yeah, Aaron and all those guys, right? All about the players. Yeah, because I think the cards, for the most part, uh, compared to their, you know, the gridiron colleagues were were a lot. I think they were inferior, but. Uh, the players obviously were incredible
0: so are you offering to host Golden Age of Cardboard Football Edition
1: or no not at all <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know nowhere in there does it say Golden Age of you know baseball cardboard I just think uh, I'd like to see you get a little bit more come on man Jim Brown posed with his Cadillac on a on a, a football card man it doesn't get any better than that Right? Well, except if, yeah,
0: let's let's let the people vote you know if you guys want to see <laughs> more football content on here you know uh let us know down in the comments if you're watching on um or you're listening on podcast you can certainly reach out to me on instagram at baseball collector mike you can do that let me know if football is something you'd like to hear us talk more about and then i'd have to i'll have to find somebody that actually knows what the heck they're talking about because i love you man but there's smarter people there about foot, vintage yeah, football much than you, smarter. right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking uh, real quick, I know you're, you 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 want to put this thing to bed, literally and figuratively. But one of the joys, like I was at the Philly show and I was talking to a a friend of mine, Tony, and he had a son with him, and we're looking at display cases, and uh, you know, it's fun talking to somebody about the '52 Eddie Matthews card that they would not have known about. His son would not have known that That's the most expensive tops rookie car there is right because it's eddie matthews what's the big deal uh Pancho herrera like what is i had to point out what do you think so special about that card right there with it's four thousand dollar price tag or whatever and then i had to show him that and, and that's what's there's never ever going to be a, a lack of uh entertaining and interesting factoids about these cards you know we talked about brooks earlier too uh so that's the, the joy will always be there whether you have every post war Hall of Famer or not. It's always going to be there because there's so much to talk about with these cards.
0: No doubt. Are you, how was the Philly show? By the way,
1: uh, it was it was good. I mean, I I you know me, I'm not a joiner, and I try to go on the off peak hours. So I, I knew some friends were going. Uh, early in the day, I think it opened at one, I rolled in, I had to drop off a package to one of the guys, Tony, that I was talking about, uh, met him. And I met Mike go there just to get a package. That was around five o'clock on Friday. And I came back on Saturday, uh, towards the end, to closed the three, I showed up at around 1230, lots of stuff, uh, lots of amazing, uh, vintage cardboard. Uh, and, uh, again, I filled out my 79 set, uh, almost punched the ticket on my 73 set and knocked out most of my 70 set football. These are all football. So it it was, it's, it's a great show. You could sit down uh, in a sea of binders and essentially uh, complete any set at any number of tables. I would say there's at least, I don't know, maybe 10 tables at the Philly show where you can uh, get any card from any set uh, in fact, the Earl Campbell one was in a binder. I asked the guy, do you have an Earl Campbell rookie? He's like, well, well let me check the binder, which is with all the other cards. Bam, it was in there. So it's uh, – I, lo- I love that show for that reason. It's not all display cases. It's, uh, you know, it's it's stuff like that where you can – you can be a set completionist or you can get oddball stuff, uh, you know, really fun oddball stuff as well. So, yeah. Uh, Good times, though. I mean, it's they've got a they have a great amount of autograph guests there, and uh, just a it's it's a successful show. People people don't say many bad things about the Philly show for some reason. Well, two just points.
0: Two points. A, you're telling me it closes at three on a Saturday? That seems ridiculous. On a Sunday? On Sunday? Oh, okay. I
1: avoid I-, I avoided Saturday because uh, gotcha. As my um, friend Drew says, my people batteries only last so long.
0: Right. So that okay, that makes way more sense. And there's two kind of bucket list shows. Well, I guess I would say three that I'd really like to go to. And then the first one is the Strongsville show. I really want to do that show, and and I'm I'm looking at doing that next April. Uh, that's on my radar to do that. We've I want to do the Philly show uh, for sure, and then I want to do one of the Nashville shows. I hear they're pretty good, and my brother lives there. And so my brother, actually, John is going to the national next year. He called me, Oh, you
1: know,
0: he's not even into cards. Like he loves baseball and all that. We, we grew up playing together and everything. He played at Vanderbilt and uh, he was a pitcher and I was a catcher. Right. So he, he loves the sport and he, and he's kind of gotten into cards and we had them as kids and they all kind of became mine. And he's, he's holding some bitterness about that, by the way, all these decades later, but (laughs) He's like, well, which ones are mine? He comes over. He's like, well, which ones are mine? I'm like, none of them. They're all mine. <laughs> you haven't been uh, lugging them around with you for the last yeah, 30 years. Right, they, right. The Heard first move, they dude. became mine. Yeah. But he, uh, he said, I want to go to the National with you. I want to see it. You know, Because he watches a lot of my videos and he'll, especially stuff like that. and And so he's like, it just looks like you're having so much fun. I want to go be a part of that. And
1: I'm like, well, it is well, a lot of
0: fun. Just don't meet John Keating; he's kind of a jerk. But
1: well, Cleveland is a big day out for people that live in Tennessee, so I can't. Uh, it's a blame good point for, for, for wanting to go uptown. Um, I would tell you, Nashville isn't on my radar, but I would like to go to the National Expo in in Toronto um, because uh, I know you're you're uh you've wetted your bed several times over the '78 OPG Eddie Murray that you have. But I'd love to. To, to get a lot of that. I mean, what better way to bang out a lot of 70s OPG than up there, Toronto way, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, awesome, so, uh, man. Uh, looks like we got to, a lot to look forward to as we continue this collecting journey and love the conversation. Love just, we didn't have a plan guys. We was literally hit record. We knew we wanted to talk about Brooks, obviously because right. that news just broke and he was a great player and a great hall of famer. So, and a great Other person, that,
1: by, by all accounts, as, as your dad can attest to. So.
0: He can. He will personally attest to that, and or at least from all his interactions with him. So thank you, John, again, for being on the show. Love the conversation. Really appreciate your friendship and uh, your hobby love, man. Cool. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, that's it for us. Let me get ready to shut this thing down. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week for another episode. Keep collecting.